0: Thanks for joining us for Bread of Life, a ministry of the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. We are a fellowship committed to knowing community as God's family and sharing the food from our table with others. Every member of Christ's family should be well-nourished from God's Word. And in that Word, we find all we need to live good and God-honoring lives. To contact us, please call us at 208-331-4096. And now here for a brief introduction is our speaker, Joel Van Hoogen. God is a person who can be known and experienced in relationship as any other person. The first rule of intimacy with God grows out of our loving commitment to imitate Him. The commands are places where God shows us how to mirror, imitate His attributes by our conduct. As we obey His commands, we find the place where we can grow in our knowledge and relationship with Him. But imitation alone won't draw us nearer to God. There's one more thing we'll need. One thing God can give us to make our imitation of Him become a point of going deeper into our relationship with Him. Let's learn about it today. I once heard a pastor speak on the Seventh Commandment, which prohibits committing adultery. And he listed a series of reasons as to why adultery was wrong or ill-advised. He spoke of how it injured the two parties emotionally He spoke about the damage that it would bring into the homes and the marriages of these families and of the damage that it brought to the whole of society. But when his message was done, he failed to mention what his sin did to God. And yet when David was found in adultery and he repented of it in Psalm 51.4, what did David say? Against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. David knew that obedience was a means of expressing God's nature through our lives. It was a means of drawing near to God, to understand God and know God and submit to God. And he also knew that disobedience was an assault against that nature. That the failure to take God's commandments seriously said something about his carelessness in his relationship with God and who God was and his lack of interest in knowing God. Then it's said about his ethical or moral prowess. That's always the case. That's always the case. Well, let's give some applications here. First application is this. If all this is true, what does this all mean? If what we're saying is true, that we should imitate God that the laws show us a way to imitate God, and thirdly, that actually the following these laws and obedience to these laws are a way for us to grow into a deeper knowledge and understanding of God, then the first thing of application ought to be this. It means that when you obey God's commandments, you should seek to know how they are expressive or responsive to God's nature. You should ask yourself, what does this command and my obedience to it say about God? What does this say about God? And in this way, your obedience becomes the means of you attaining and moving forward in a deepening relationship with God. You get an individual who is an irritable individual, and everybody begins to notice it, and he begins to notice it himself, and so he decides to turn over a new leaf. He decides at some point in time that he's determined to check this impatient nature of his and behave better. He maybe comes upon 1 Thessalonians 5.14 where it says, be patient to all. And he says, okay, I'm going to work at this. And so he gives it his best effort. He begins to count backwards from 100 when he's waiting in line in the bank. He begins to meditate on some tranquil music when he's stuck in a traffic jam. He hums soothing music to himself when a family member is complaining or bellyaching before him. He tries to repeat the word serenity when he's about to lose it. And ultimately, he ends up biting a hole through his cheek and getting ulcers. It's not working for him. Listen, patience is a virtue because it's God's virtue. It's God's virtue. God, you see, is not in a hurry because he knows the beginning from the end and he's in control throughout. Patience on our part is an act not of being patient, of marshaling our energies to try to endure Patience on our part is an act of trust in a God who we know is taking care of His part. We wait because God waits. We wait because we know God has said to Him, A thousand years is as a day, and a day is as a thousand years. And He's written the measure of all of them out, line by line. He knows what He's doing, even though we don't always know what He's doing. And our patience is an act of confidence in Him. And to trust that He'll bring out the outcome. And to know that there's a long arc oftentimes in what God is doing. And to be grateful just to wait on Him. Our patience is an act of casting ourselves upon God's wisdom and God's control. When we ourselves feel like we're out of control, which by the way is all the time. We're not in control. God's in control. When we choose patience for this reason... We're choosing something more than just honing a behavior. We're choosing something more than just trying to be a little more patient. We're choosing to exercise ourselves in a deepening knowledge of God and engaging ourselves with Him in that attribute. Here's the second thing. This is where we get to the weakness of imitation. Number two, application for A proper imitation, you need an impartation. For a proper imitation, you need an impartation, an impartation, I-M-P-A-R-T-A-T-I-O-N. Something needs to be imparted to you. Something needs to be given to you if you're going to be able to imitate properly. Just to let you know. That a mere commitment to pursue a deeper knowledge of God and understanding of God by imitating him will result in abject failure. Right? I'm going to know God better because I'm going to try to be just like God in all that I do. Here's what's going to happen. You're going to come to know not God better, but yourself better. And what you're going to find out is you're a miserable wretch. You can't do it. You'll fail over and over again. You'll bite that hole through your cheek. You'll get ulcers. You'll just be a failure. What you'll come to know is not so much more about God, but more and more about your own weakness and your own fallenness. Less and less about God's holy and perfect moral attributes, and more and more about your unholy and imperfect attributes. You see, in the commandments, God has asked us something that we cannot render in our own fallen sinful natures. We're fallen. In and of ourselves, we're fallen. But here's the good news. Remember, Jesus came and lived this perfect, sinless life, and he's risen. He's risen. Having borne my sin, he's come to life, and he's risen, and he comes into my life to reside in my life in order that he might live his risen power out from within me by the power and energy of the Holy Spirit And it's only through Christ, it's only through Christ in me that I can say I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's only through Christ that I can take up this idea or thought that I'm going to imitate him. It's through Christ that I'm brought into this relationship where I can come up alongside of God in the mirror and want to imitate him. And it's only through Christ then that I have the power, the energy to do so. For the Christian, the commandments that once only condemned us and showed us our sinfulness, the commandments are now like wells of water hidden in the desert. They're places where God directs us, where He shows us a place where He wants to impart more of His life and nature to us. God says, you see, I'm like that. Don't lie, because I'm a God of truth. Here, I will impart my truth to you and the impulse of my own truthfulness into your inmost being. I love the testimony of a brother I once who shared how that before he came to Christ, he was a habitual liar. I mean, he lied about everything. It got to the point where it wasn't for any reason or any purpose. He actually didn't know how to frame. He was so inauthentic. He was so self-deceived that everything came out as a lie. And after he became a Christian, it's like for the first year, he couldn't finish a sentence without saying, oh, wait, wait, wait a second, that's not exactly right. And he kept having to modify what he was saying. What was happening? The Lord had put his life in him. God had put his own truth within him, and God wouldn't let him continue. And it says, just telling old lies. Well, you're not going to succeed. at Im- That's the problem with Kempis, you see. He thought somehow the Christian life was just a life of imitation, and he didn't understand it's... It's an imitation only because there's an impartation of life. God gives us himself. The Christian is someone who is in Christ and Christ is in him and only because of this is it possible for us to know him and reflect him and become godly, godly by the grace of God imparting his life to us. Now, do you want to know where you need that grace imparted? Understand the commandments. Understand God's will. Determine, I want to imitate God in these things. I want to be more like this in my life. I want to grow in my relationship with God in this way and know Him better. God, I'm going to need you right here. Impart your life to me. Impart your own power to me. Show me this not only in the acting of it out through my very being, but by your empowering me to act it out. Let me be faithful in this way. Here's the third one. What does all of this mean for us as Christians, as a church? It means instead of downplaying the commandments of God and Scripture and their necessary injunction upon Christians, we should emphasize them. We should emphasize them, but for the right reason. Not so that we can feel good about ourselves. Not so that we can compare ourselves with others and see that we measure up. Not so that we can look down on others who haven't risen to the same stature of moral ability. No. Emphasize them so that through the commandments we can look up into the face of God. We can come alongside of Him, you might say, in the mirror. Imitate Him as His sons and daughters. Respond to the invitation that He gives us to grow in a knowing, personal relationship with Him. Basically, the life of imitation in this way says and declares that we can know God as we obey God through the power of God living in us. Let's bow our heads. Let's pray. Lord, we don't want to be um, living our lives, beating ourselves up when you've given us such a wonderful, wonderful relationship and such a wonderful starting and growing point. We're before you and you live in us. But we would have to go back and evaluate and see where we so often forget the gospel. And laws and conduct and behavior become something other than the joyful release of expiration of yourself. And as a result, although at times we might achieve obedience, you're missed. and The delight of knowing you is missed in it. Lord, the answer is not disobedience. It's not carelessness in these things. It's renewal to be careful, to be delighting in knowing this relationship with ours that is ours and to not simply say it and make it a thing that we just say with words. If it's true, oh God, and we count it as true, then lead us into a deep exploration of yourself. One that prepares us for all the joys of heaven. You've been listening to the Bread of Life, a ministry of the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. We meet to worship together every Sunday at 11 a.m. in the Old White Church on the corner of East State Street and Walnut Street in the Warm Springs area of Boise, Idaho. If you don't have a church home and you're in the area, come pay us a visit. For a copy of this broadcast, just call us at 208 331 4096 Until the next time God bless you